Welcome to the Spider Career Podcast. My name is Ed Hill. And Laura Guzman. We are discussing the career trajectories of spider researchers and also those who carry out important work that enables and supports the research being conducted. What is a postdoctoral researcher position? What are the day-to-day tasks? What skills do you develop in a job role? Join us for this episode as we explore and discuss these questions and more. We're joined today by our colleague Warren Tennant, who's a postdoctoral researcher with Inspider. Cheers for joining us today. No problem. And Thank you for the invite. No worries. And so you're a postdoctoral researcher and yes, myself and Lara were also postdoctoral researchers. So we've got a, a crew of postdoctoral yeah. researchers to discuss what a postdoctoral researcher is and the day-to-day activities that they conduct. So Warren, in your, in your own words, what is a postdoctoral <laughs> researcher? <laughs> That's really hard to actually answer. I guess splitting up the word itself, postdoctoral, meaning the someone, I guess, who has to have done a doctorate degree that doesn't necessarily have to be in the field that you currently work in. And then researcher, I would think of that as someone who is really trying to push the boundaries of knowledge and understanding yeah but i'm actually quite curious as to what you guys think uh, a postdoctoral researcher is i think that was a brilliant description <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> yeah i guess so i got i got the idea that it was the continuation of a researcher path but never thought of the exact answer of what does that mean so what did you study before such that you ended up doing this particular position oh gosh how far back do you want me to go all as the way back to school as, <laughs> as far as you think it influenced um I, I guess sort of my first influence was yeah in school doing sciences in general I really enjoyed it fortunately I was good at it which always helps with you know your own motivation and then at the end of school for A-levels, I ended up doing maths, biology, and chemistry. And when I was trying to find an undergraduate program, I was looking at u- different university prospectuses, and one really stood out to me because I saw this one module called mathematical biology. And I thought, wait, I can do maths and biology at the same time? It kind of sort of blew my mind. So I ended up doing a degree at University of Bath where I mostly did applied mathematics courses, so including mathematical biology, but also things like fluid mechanics. But then I also took some theory courses as well, bifurcation theory, metric spaces, analysis, and so on, which I'm not sure how relevant they are to what I currently do, but I do think that they gave me sort of the mathematical confidence to go away and then learn new mathematical concepts for for myself. Then you continue with your PhD. Yeah, that's quite important, isn't it? Um, So yeah, I did my PhD at University of Exeter and I did that in um, mathematical epidemiology. So that, and I I loved it. So it's just kind of a natural step to then seek out postdoctoral research a position on the same uh, or roughly within the same field and from you stepping through like your educational stages there you see kind of that moment where it's like oh interdisciplinary 
areas like they, they actually exist whereas perhaps initially in school it's like as you say it's like mathematics biology chemistry exactly. all perhaps seems quite distinct and separate but then as you progress you then start seeing these different knowledge spaces where do they overlap start interacting with each other and then as you move on to the undergraduate study and then say phd then you'll be getting more and more specialized becoming expert in a very defined area yeah yeah i would agree with that and i think i think what's nice about sitting in a field that's on this sort of boundary between very traditional subjects is that you get people coming in from those different sides so i guess i would argue my my degree was in undergrad degree was in mathematics so it was nice to come from that direction and then see other people coming from biology and what we could learn from each other and it i think that really helped progress the research because it, I, w- I was very obsessed with the mathematics part when I first got into this field and I think through talking to those who came from a more biological background it made me a lot more enthusiastic about the biology and thinking about well what is my mathematics actually trying to achieve. And while you were building all your career, was it clear to you that you will do a research career or it was something you were discovering while you were studying? Oh, that's a good question. I think I had this vision when I was younger that I wanted to be working at a university. But what I actually thought that was going to be was very different (laughs) to how it actually was. I don't think it was until my third year of my undergrad course where I ended up doing a research assistant position in Canada that that really gave me a flavor for, okay, this is what research is actually like. And I loved it. And I thought, okay, this is just sort of ticked. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it's ticked, you know, the box of satisfaction and I want to keep going on with it that's awesome do, do you think it's like there's some like insatiable desire to like keep learning gathering knowledge oh yes to some extent <laughs> i guess the further you get um in your career the you're more time limited because you've got more things to do in that same amount of time so although the desire to learn new things and expand my own knowledge is there actually putting that into practice is can be quite challenging sometimes and actually this leads on nicely we'd like to discuss say what are the types of tasks that you actually conduct day to day in your postdoctoral researcher role yeah i i would say 10% is probably reading and responding to emails 40% is programming and coding up Uh, different mathematical models or fitting algorithms or writing manuscripts and then the other 50% is literally thinking at least for me I spend so much time thinking about not only what I want to achieve next but also taking a step back and looking at my work and almost critically analyzing it of how could I make this result more clear or what is this actually trying to tell me biologically and quite often I find I don't know about you guys that my best ideas 
don't come when I'm sitting in the office. I think for me, my best ones are always just as I'm falling asleep. So now I've got into the habit of having a, a pen and paper by my um, by my bed, so I can immediately like write it down before I drift off, because otherwise I won't remember in the morning. <laughs> Can't relate so much. <laughs> My best ones happen when I'm walking. You need to run to write them down. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So it's like a couple of days later, you just, I don't know, out shopping, out for a run. Oh, wait, that's like the bug in my code. That's why it's going wrong. Yeah, exactly. How do you balance your relaxed time with your work when you are so excited about what you do that it can merge with your resting mm. time? It, <laughs> it's hard. Um, particularly, particularly during the PhD, it was even more difficult, you know, because it, you don't have this sort of structured, almost nine to five-esque time with your PhD. At least with a postdoc, you know, you're employed technically for a certain number of hours a week, and that can actually sometimes quite be, be a positive thing, where you can almost convince yourself or tell yourself that, well, I'm only contractually <laughs> obliged to do this much, so I should probably switch off. But the thing that I learned to do is, in my off time, to still do something. Because before, I was very focused on, this is my off time, I should be relaxing, I should be zen, and not being able to do that. But instead, actually just planning some activities to do, even if they are related to work, a little bit like learning a new programming language or something like that can really just help get your mind into that sort of almost like semi-conscious state having that time for professional development yes so you've told us a bit about your day-to-day -day activities also within your role are there any other tasks that that you perform on a, a more irregular basis or it's perhaps more one-off events i i guess quite a few although one could caveat it with a lot of them are optional. <laughs> um, it's a great point to raise that, to be fair. Yeah, so, I mean, as you guys know, that the main focus of being a postdoctoral researcher is to do your research, right? Um, but if you want to make sure that you're advancing your career and improving your skills, you need to really be, if anything, filling out your CV with these different, different tasks. Off the top of my head, things like supervising PhD students, teaching undergrads, attending conferences, writing papers, publishing papers, reviewing papers and grants. Yeah. <laughs> recording podcasts. Recording pod. That's a very good recording podcast. <laughs> a lot of these activities naturally are focused on broadening like the reach of your, your research, which is important aspects of the work we do is and it's, it's part of the research as well yeah absolutely at the end of the day you could do the most interesting or best research in the world but if you're not communicating that to anyone no one will ever know about it <laughs> and during this time doing your research is there a set of skills that you have developed that you maybe weren't planning to do yes and i feel like i i sort of briefly touched on one and there's sort of, I guess, two two levels to this. The first skill set that comes to mind is a communication, 
when I was younger and had this ambition of being a lecturer, my vision of it was either this sort of scientist in this white lab coat looking critically at some vial of mysterious liquid or professor sort of hunched over a desk scribbling on a pen and paper. Naturally, that's partly true, you could argue, but as I just said, you need to be able to get your research out there. And not only that, you need to be able to talk to others because they will really help guide your research in a direction that remains interesting and relevant and as a result impactful, which is really what I think we strive to do. And within epidemiology and modeling infectious disease dynamics, having the collaborative input is that one of the things I find. Like it's brilliant to have this very supportive collaborative environment to work in, striving forward, making progress. I guess that's part of the aspect that I found somewhat surprising once I had my first research experience. I thought the same of being almost isolated and it's just you who produces your ideas and promotes them and moves things forward. But really you're part of this much bigger network of researchers, some who you know and some who you don't, to kind of achieve that overall goal of pushing the boundaries of science. And then the other one was resilience and perseverance. Almost as a consequence of communicating with other people, you're almost, you're in part accepting critique. And when you spend months on a particular problem that you're passionate about, it can be quite difficult to actually take on critique. It's something that I struggle with. You know, I, I take it quite personally and that's really something that I've tried to work on because I guess in in essence it's important to remember that you're receiving critique about the science and not about you as a researcher. To those interested in working in epidemiology and mathematical modeling what is your advice to them? Oh, that's a that's a really hard question because I don't I don't feel like there's sort of one thing that you can do and I don't want to sort of say something that's going to limit a subset of people. But I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me from my own experience was if you are currently doing or going to do a mathematics undergraduate degree, make sure that you take probability and statistics modules. Because I did not. And that was quite, you know, I had to teach all of those things to myself during my PhD, obviously with, with help. But if you have a strong background in probability and stats, you can really kind of hit the ground running. And I think find a system or a problem that excites you because that will motivate you to overcome any knowledge or skill gaps that you might have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Warren, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much, Warren, for joining us today and having this discussion. Thank you. It was lovely being here and having a chat with you guys.